0: So Andres, um, I was just trying to mind my own business. I was pretty preoccupied thinking about Wandavision, and all of a sudden you start texting me, and I think texting Max too, about the Falcon and Winter Soldier, or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I was like, I am not gonna watch this show.
1: Not another Maybe- one.
0: <laughs> maybe later but you know for me the most the most interesting parts about WandaVision were when it wasn't really doing normy MCU aesthetics and I saw you know the the teasers for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and I was like this just seems like more normy MCU and you were like no 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 and you were persistent and you kept texting at us <laughs> so maybe we can maybe we can start by by you telling us about uh, telling the listeners what you were texting at us.
2: Yeah, sounds good. I mean, so I, I've kind of since I was a kid, I've been a fan of these kinds of shows and stuff. And obviously, as as an adult, that has evolved into both enjoying uh, you know kind of like your superhero type stuff, but also simultaneously feeling critical about all of it um because of you know all the the narratives that they put forward that very much uh incorporate militarism or the american military or stuff like that so you know it's like half joissance and then half like rage watching with some of this stuff
0: (laughs) But, Where, but I, there's a special pleasure in rage watching.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but I started to kind of uh, enjoy Marvel shows because of maybe how bad some of the other attempts uh, from some of the other studios to, to like make a cinematic universe or whatnot. And just from a storytelling perspective uh, and from the ability to like be able to captivate an audience the way they have, I became really interested in that kind of world building that Marvel was, was able to do. So um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier kind of is one of these shows alongside WandaVision that is after that comes after this huge event, which kind of closes, I think it's phase three of the Marvel cinematic universe with, yeah. with Thanos and all that stuff. And, you know, money on the left and you all have spoken pretty extensively about all that. So it kind of comes, that era comes to an end, and now they're rebuilding post Thanos. And um, so there's a lot of like new lines and threads to tease out. And one of them is WandaVision, and then this other one is Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I went in, you know, not really expecting it to be that great or anything, but um, right away from the first episode, I think. Um, the show follows sam wilson who um was is is falcon or was falcon and um at the end of uh, end game captain america gives him his shield and so that's like one part of it and then the, it also fo- uh, follows winter soldier who is kind of like trying to figure out what his life is going to be now that he's not really um being mind-controlled and this and still in character, right? And that's kind of just, like, the the, the, the core pl- plot to get things going. Um, but in episode one, Sam is, like, with his sister and he wants to do good for her. He wants to, like, help her out with their fishing business. So they go to a bank together. And, you know, the, the bank agent literally tells uh, Sam, like, hey, ever since the people started coming back from the snap which you know they defeated thanos and the the, they kind of redid the snap so everybody's coming back now everybody came back so this guy's like every ever since people are coming back from the snap we've run out of money and therefore we cannot extend this loan to you so i'm like what that's what the fuck (laughs) uh because (laughs) because it's just like so hilarious um that money politics and these questions about, um, you know, sound fiscal budgets and, 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 and whether there's enough wealth has actually reached the Marvel cinematic universe. And in fact has become this central theme as well. And I found that fascinating and it didn't stop there. These kind of like, um, these points of, uh, um, acknowledgement to money politics kept coming so that's why i started texting you all about it (laughs) yeah and you basically got
0: me hooked and then i think i started texting at you and max and max really held out
1: i i really did i uh i was like not another show i'm already deep in wandavision you know i'm let alone any phd stuff or whatever (laughs) max is a serious scholar so he's yeah i'm i yeah this is i'm i'm too good for this um but but then i finally gave in and watched it and i really i really enjoyed just the experience of watching it and all of these themes which i think i mean it might be useful to to dig into that sort of core problematic that Andres, you just spelled out with regards to this moment in episode one where um, Falcon and his sister go to the bank and get denied for a loan, which has all this historical um, weight in, in the sense of, of denying um, black people access to credit and, and in the history of the United States. And, and we should say that if you don't
0: watch, if you're not an MCU uh, person, if you don't know about it, um, it, it it's important to recognize that um, the Falcon, Sam, is an African American man.
2: I thought you were going to say it, 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 it's important to uh, use this as a spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we got to do that too, right? Like spoiler, spoiler,
0: we're, spoiler. We're long gone no one should. <laughs> yeah, No one should ever listen to our podcasts who don't want to be just spoiled.
1: Yeah, we will spoil you. Um that's the yeah. su- that's the money on the left superstructure guarantee. Um yeah. but so right this is a, like a really important historical context, right? And theme that's playing out in this show. And and I I want to also spell out um its relationship to the Thanos snap just in a bit more detail cuz it's going to be helpful to To sort of set the landscape of the way that the money politics is interacting with the world. And then the sort of philosophical, theological affirmations that the sort of Thanos, I guess one might call it like movement or transition from from phase three to phase four in the Marvel Cinematic Universe represents. And how this show is variously naturalizing slash trying to overcome some of its own premises. So um, I think to say what's important about this moment, right, is for those who don't really know, and then obviously just to rehash for, for the, the avid fans of the MCU, right? Thanos' entire sort of moral drive is to make space for the environment, right? It's, it's an eco-fascist imaginary. Um, And we talk about this, as Andres mentioned in the first episode of uh, Modern Movie Theory on Avengers Infinity War. But um, basically, Thanos says there's not enough space and we have to kill half the universe or or randomly and resources. Right. Space and our resources. And we have to kill half the universe um, to essentially save the universe. Right. We have to we have to tax away to half the universe to be able to afford the other half. And um, and this gets set up and fulfilled, and then in Avengers Endgame, it gets undone, right, as Andres mentioned. But it gets undone without undoing the premises of why this happened and why Thanos sort of felt this way and, and f- needed to fulfill this sort of transcendental vision of eco-fascism. And so it was just like, well, we did it now. We undid it everything's fine people are coming back and then phase 4 really is set up in the in the aftermath and and WandaVision is is very much dealing with the trauma of this of this of phase 3 in a very particular way as we mentioned in our last episode of modern movie theory and now we get to Falcon and Winter Soldier which is dealing with the political and economic fallout and 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 racial and racial fallout of this, these series of events. And and what it does, though, is it sets it up in, in saying that, okay, however many years later, right, there was a, a period of years where half the universe was dead, was gone. I think it's five. Yeah, that that sounds right. And now they're coming back. And they came back all of a sudden, again, with the snap of the fingers, right? And this rapid increase in population... Um, represents all the problems that Thanos identified, right? In his eco-fascist vision, Um, which is right. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough space. We don't know what to do with liminal um, migrants or dissidents or, or we don't like all the problems of otherness and scarcity and all of these, these issues that arise in the liberal imaginary that Thanos radicalizes and, and too many represent people. represent themselves, right? Too many people. I mean, it's 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 sort of the classic, um, you know. I feel like David Attenborough would agree, um, <laughs> but it's the classic, you know, liberal problematic of of not enough. We have to we have to mediate. We have to find Pareto optimality, um, and and it then gets represented, and those end up being the premises of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Falcon and Winter Soldier's exploration of race. As a theme in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, of course, in the American historical imaginary. And that's that's how we can set up talking about and thinking about this series and moving into some of the ways in which, as Undress made clear, it, it reifies a sort of scarce private vision of money and furthermore, such a vision of politics as well to and and plays out these tensions and contradictions on on those struggling and, and struggles with those terms even as it wants to potentially try and overcome them in complicated ways. So I'm going to leave it there and I think that's a Which good I, start. Which I
2: you know, I would also include the way all of that connects to the emotional journeys that these two characters are experiencing from different vantage points. One of them being Bucky who was his former um, sleeper agent. That's the term I was looking for this former (laughs) sleeper agent who just gets like awoken to, you know, do all these horrible things through mind control and all these kind of stuff. And now he's not that anymore. So he's trying to figure out like, what, what is, what's the meaning? What's the purpose of his life after having done some, so many terrible things. And he's going to therapy and you know, he's, he's doing all of the, he's doing the work. (laughs) He's doing the work, trying to figure out like, you know, uh, how do I make sense of myself um, as a person? And he's struggling with it. And then at the same time, Falcon um, is struggling with having been given the Captain America shield and kind of not being sure what that means or the the pressure and the expectations that come with that. Um, and then very early on, he gives that up to the government. He gives the shield up to the government. And he's not sure if that was the right move to do
0: yeah and i think it's important to note that the show is very sophisticated and it poses it poses questions you know it has genuine questions and it doesn't have pat answers to those questions but as for as sophisticated as it is it also poses those questions on what are mostly horribly zero-sum uh, at Malthusian terms, essentially. And something I wanted to, to note um, to, to kind of double back to this transition that we've been talking about that Andres has set up and Max has, I think, nicely fleshed out is that in the later Avengers Phase 3 shows, uh, uh, films, the most of the zero-sum logics are kind of invested... Um, and and played out with kind of at arm's length through the villain, right? A villain who has some, th- there is some empathy in you know in this villain, but it's still a big bad daddy fascist villain. Um, and and then as we mentioned on an earlier episode, the good guys don't really have a response, and the voice of the whole franchise doesn't have a response kind of they're kind of like yeah this seems bad (laughs) but but it they're not like no it's not zero-sum or no there's a better way they're just kind of like yeah let's just stop this really really bad eco-fascism and kind of kick the can of this problem down the road and what i find so fascinating uh troubling is that Falcon and Winter Soldier leans into that in a systematic way in terms of the voice of the show and in terms of the dialogue and the problems. I mean, you know, we have critiqued the zero-sum logics and the aesthetics, the immersive blockbuster aesthetics of the MCU and blockbusters more generally, but very often those logics don't necessarily always play out so overtly through narrative and through dialogue and through overt problematics, right? But that's what was so, I mean, when you started texting me, Andres, this, this is what got me. It was like, oh my God, they're really taking it on, like thematically, and it's so, it's so systematized. And I just, I felt what it must be like to be in that writer's room or virtual writer's room, because um, a lot of it was made during COVID, and them just like like spitballing and piggybacking off of one another and being like, yeah, yeah, and here's this other zero-sum situation uh, that we can put in the script. And, you know, maybe they didn't call it zero-sum, but whatever logics they were using. The other great example from that episode, which is what really tipped me off to how systematic this was, is... Um, Two characters. One, we never meet again. Another uh, older gentleman who uh, Bucky had wronged. He, he had killed his son um, when he was this, you know, spy killer. Um, but we first meet him uh, in, in this alley- alleyway outside of his apartment, and some other guy puts his trash inside <laughs> of this older gentleman's trash can, and he's mad because he's taking up the space that he has for his trash, right? So after the blip, not only is there not enough money to circulate, but there's not even enough room to dispose of trash, right? So like the zero-sum logics are just so systematically everywhere. And even in these like casual encounters, you find
1: them in this show. Um, I think... To, to maybe take one step into the sort of systematic nature of what you just described, Scott, it might be interesting to think about the shield um, as a, as an icon or, or as a, as a symbol of what this show is trying to overcome, right. In it's sort of relational struggles with itself. And it's, it's sort of, marvel universe sort of baggage and then as well you know its aesthetics in a way too um which is there are multiple moments in which like the shield that was given to falcon by captain america um and then forfeited to the u.s government which then in the show gets given to a new uh you know, a new Captain America, right? This sort of stellar um, officer who um, is going to become the new face of the United States around the world, right? Uh, And he's the best of the best when it comes to the American military apparatus, blah, blah, blah. Um, But there's this like conjuring and questioning of the shield as a symbol, right? And as a symbol for, all that made captain america good right and and all of his moral reluctant um you know drive to save the little guy and all of these sort of quite overwrought and overdetermined um ways in which we could think about marvel trying to 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 conjure itself in relationship to empire and all of these these sort of questions that i think are are that form a thread that sort of can be drawn through all of the phases of the marvel cinematic universe but the there's this question conjured conjured constantly right which is like what made captain america good um and it it wasn't the suit it wasn't the the shield it was him the concrete person of captain america and this theme and this struggle that gets played out through the, the new Captain America being a kind of an asshole who lets the power <laughs> go to his head and lets the, the symbolism go to his head and ends up doing all sorts of horrible stuff um, is the problem of, right, what really is a symbol and what can it do and what are its dangers? And, and this is a, another way in which the sort of, mediation of the abstraction of the symbolic realm is is up for grabs but it's it's up for grabs in a very particular way in this series that forecloses any possibility for symbolic mediation as a sort of way of of thinking about formal caretaking or formal um experimentation and play and difference right so the person that becomes the new cap gets subordinated to the symbol of what it represents in a way that is dangerous and, and turns him into a fascist all the same and, and plays out, uh, you know, Falcon also takes the symbol at one point on different terms. And, and it it really, what, what it comes down to is it's about the person underneath the suit. Right. And so,
2: yeah. And according to the, the mythology of, of the MCU, what, Steve Rogers or the first Captain America, he was a good person before he got his powers. So it's this whole thing. And and in fact, that's kind of like in contrast to like some of the other heroes who were assholes and they had to go through this whole journey after they got their powers to redeem themselves. But like, you know, Steve is presented as this guy who was like a good all-American guy with just a a very uh, solid set of ethics. Before he got his powers, and that's why they give him his powers. That's why he gets powerful.
1: And and emphasis on solid, right? There's something so concrete, and it's like the 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 flesh underneath. That's the base, right? And so the the baseline morality and all and power corrupts symbols corrupt symbols symbols turn to fascism, right? And and it's it's interesting too because, of course, we can say that. The imperial symbol of Captain America is a sort of fascist icon, right? Which is so. So there's some interesting tension here, where the show is opening up, really, and, and interrogating itself on the terms of what it's affirming, and really asking, again, as Scott said, what what would it mean to, um. To not have power corrupt, right? And what would it like? What do we need? And it ultimately comes down with a liberal answer that just reinforces all of these aesthetic premises that externalize the symbolic as, as a superficial, superficial at best, and then actively authoritarian at worst. um, Is the liberal answer of well, you just have to be a good moral agent, right? Um, And so this is just another example of which the aesthetics of the symbolic of which of course the marvel mcu is actively participating in as a, as a matter of digital construction um as we've talked about on in this modern movie theory series before um it, it's just another area of tension and contradiction where the film can't quite overcome itself right or the the series can't quite quite overcome itself and it's the same thing as the um as the, the going into the bank or the trash example right the money politics the the infrastructure politics around sanitation, the show can pose a problem that it can't quite overcome. And the problem is itself the show's own making, whether it's as aesthetic logics or as political or monetary vision or, 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 or like a historical vision of what America must be there. There's all these layers and, and, you know, we, we can keep unraveling, but the, that's just one crucial one in which the aesthetic iconic component plays out at a similar register and as scott was saying in the previous films
2: they don't there's really no answer to to this kind of like zero sum politics proposed they they kind of do like a last second we'll just have a huge battle at the end and somehow we'll defeat the fascism that comes from like you know the fascism emerges from the zero sum politics that the show puts forward itself and then there's a, there's a crazy battle at the end usually, and it involves either Tony, uh, reconnecting with his father in the past and fixing that relationship or something and making him a good man so that at the end of end game, he can make the right decision or, or whatever. Um, but there's really no answer. And so I think in, in this show, um, they up the ante by introducing conflict through these new villains that, um you know, are, are, I would say kind of even more interesting than Thanos, but all, along the, the same kind of thread of like, and ambi- be more morally and politically a bit ambiguous, but even more so, um, with on one hand you have, uh, Carly. And I, and I think like, this is where I was also texting you, uh, you, Scott, you have the flag smashers, um, who are kind of presented as these uh, revolutionaries in a way that are fighting against the unjust world that, that, you know, represents major nation states and imperialism, all of these sort of, sort of things. Um, and, and they're trying to bring that system down. But what I thought was fascinating was that when you listen to the, the, the dialogue and the discussion, um, and the character development of Carly and the Flag Smashers, Carly being the leader of the Flag Smashers, the way that they make sense of 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 their their their, their struggle is that the world was actually doing better when Thanos had snapped half the world, and there were no co- countries kind of fell apart in that instance because half of people got eliminated, and people were coll- countries were starting to collaborate. Everybody was working together. Uh, the former structures of imperialism had fallen because Thanos kind of screwed that all up. But now that people are coming back, now that people are back, there's this global repatriation agency trying to work with refugees and the people that came back from the snap and reinstalling borders and countries. And the Flag Smashers see that as a threat to global cooperation, grounded in the idea that there's too many people again. And that's what's screwing everything up. We have to go back to where things things were okay when we got rid of half of the population. And that's really the logic that they're embodying. So, um, you know, th- that's that's like a huge component of their struggle and of their kind of struggle for liberation that they can't really escape. And then on the other uh, side, there's Zemo, who is uh, warning Bucky and Falcon about basically what Max was just talking about, symbols as supremacy and power as supremacy. So this quest to want to be a superhero in any sense, and, and he includes... Carly and the Flag Smashers, who specifically, I, specifically, who I think it's important yeah. to note, they had they're super soldiers. Also, they found they found the the serum to become these like super strong uh, anti-imperialists who can actually like you know win. Um, and, and Zemo is like this whole fight over trying to get power. And uh, becoming a superhero in that process or seeking to be a superhero in, the, in that process is inherently uh, a fascist Nazi type of project. It's, it, it, it kind of glorifies supremacy and there's no way out of that. So that's kind of like the zero sum that Zemo puts forward through, um, through the abstract, the symbolic and uh, the, the desire for power. As being inherently corrupting, which yeah. f-
0: and it's it's a slippery slope too, right? And that this isn't the first time we've seen that. And quite frankly, you know, it it's been part of the blockbuster from the beginning. I mean, uh, engaging with with the force in Star Wars is a slippery slope. It's not quite as slippery. Uh, I think it's more schematic, and there there's still kind of a more schematic good guy, bad guy. Uh, you know. Um, and you have to kind of face your demons, you know, in, in uh, engaging with the force and stay on the good side and don't give in to, you know, your hate on the bad side. But the MCU takes that and scrambles it and makes it so much more intense, right? So that it, it it's just this constant slipperiness where where basically we are here for the superheroes right we're as audience members we are here for the superheroes and we're constantly being told in dramas and in dialogue and in aesthetic logics that they are they are constantly being threatened of slipping into hubristic uh um you know taking too much power univocal power and whoop they look we just backed into fascism right and zemo just spells all that out i mean it's a lesson in the mcu um good guy bad guy writing metaphysic right it's like and he he overtly connects the avengers the nazis and the flag smashers I mean, he says all of these things outright right it's america american super soldiers are 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 basically fascists as much as carly and the flag smashers are on their way to be fascist and you know i think something that to come back to what max was saying not that these aren't dangers but what's dangerous about this logic is the kind of necessary slippery slope right and and part of the part of this problematic logic is that it it gets connected in the mcu to characters who seem to care So there's like stupider baddies in the MCU who just are hubristic and want all the power, and they're kind of boring, whatever. They want all the power, blah, blah, blah. But the interesting but problematic MCU baddies are the ones who care, and their tragic fault is that they care too much in a zero-sum world. They try to gain power, right? In order to care, oof, and that's a bad idea. Although we're sympathetic, and then next thing you know, pff, it's fascism, right? And and when you route a desire to care through a slippery slope to fascism, what does that do? That makes <laughs> that makes a kind
2: of urgent care impulse uh, inherently problematic. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know. Uh... Che Guevara is famously quoted as saying, "You know, that like what, what, uh, what, what speaks or marks a true revolutionary is that they're guided by a great feeling of love, and 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 care, right? And so, like, it's it's I I definitely sense that a lot of the flag smashers are kind of um, being driven by this similar revolutionary logic that they care deeply, um, and so they have to do." what they have to do, um, to, to confront, uh, injustice, um, and to take power out of a sense of deep love. But because the, the, the surrounding context, the logic is, is still zero sum. It kind of, you know, in, in a way, I don't know if distorts is the correct term, but it, it gets, it. The answer itself gets all entangled, in in a, in a bunch of uh, uh, dead ends, I guess you, you would say, because um, even though it's 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 care and it's love that's driving this passion to take on an unjust system, it's still conceding to zero sum logic, and we I mean we see this in the show with how like the people coming back from the snap are playing such a big part in their, their analysis here. But, you know, it, it I think there, this is where it's interesting to see like parallels or analogies with, um, uh, struggles and challenges that the left has also faced itself, um, with this, with this drive for, um, for dismantling unjust systems or imperialist systems, because, you know, the idea of the slippery slope is something you hear both from, from liberals, right. That like, what, what, what's that quote? Like power corrupts all or something like that. Uh, some bullshit like that. Uh, but, but like, it's like this, this thing that like power, if you're, if you're seeking power, even if it's for good, once you get it, it can corrupt you. Right. We hear that all the time, but that's also something that I think like, you know, critical theory or all other radical traditions would put forward that, attempts, especially in the 20th century, to bring about revolutions, um, got caught up in in power themselves and ended up reproducing um, many of the same uh, violent and regressive logics that they were fighting against. And you can hear this from, you know, kind of like the post-Marxist or the critical theory uh, uh, scholars and, and intellectuals that are um engaging through marxism and then you can hear this i think as well with like foucault and some of the the, the, the post-structuralists who might have more of like an, an anarchist leaning but it's it's still there as well so this slippery slope issue exists from liberals through to to, to, to through the left
1: and um i think what's important about thinking critically in this space of what this sort of villainy implies too is is as you're mentioned mentioning undress it's dare one say like a sort of universal problematic in the sort of modern context is okay how do we do politics and how do we create justice in the context of power because we view power as this univocal determinate authoritarian bad right um in in one form or another, that needs to be negated, <clears throat> and then, but on the on the back end, it's like, what do we do? Like, who takes out the trash after the revolution? Right. This is a classic problematic, um, and I think taking out the trash after the revolution is a is a fun theme to think about from the not enough space in the trash can moment, <laughs> um, but.
2: I think it, I think it's Shizek who says not at all problematically that he would sell his own mother into slavery to find out or for, for to see a sequel to what's that movie uh, uh, the the with with Natalie Portman and the with the anonymous mask uh, V for Vendetta oh yeah he, he, uh. he, he, he would he would sell his mother into slavery to see V for Vendetta two part two to see what happens after the revolution
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah. he's gonna have to because someone's <laughs> gonna have to pay for uh, for the for the post-revolution with their with their uh, tax money, i.e., with their their mothers, um, soul for a soul, soul for a soul. To yep, to quote Thanos. Um, so this this problematic of pay fors right? I mean, we could even call it that, right? Of of pay fors and and thinking about like, okay, right? Who do we have to kill? Who do we have to univocally negate in order to achieve freedom from power, right? Um, which is a contradiction in in terms, right? Of course, um, to even posit that, right? Who, who, what kind of power do we have to exert to get out of power? Um, and and what's in, what I find interesting about this sort of left quote unquote enemy um, in the in the show is that the flag smashers. Are directly playing out this sort of fantasy of a sort of unmediated or state of nature desire that I do think is harbored in some areas of leftists who want to return to like a sort of direct connection to the land and these sorts of things, um, which is more than I think people might generally think. Um, in the sense of, like, unmediated labor and all of these questions, right, is that Thanos created the state of nature, right? I mean, that was essentially his his central drive, which was to get rid of half the people so we could have room for the state of nature to, so that we could not have to deal with all of this political conflict over resources. And, and what the Flag Smashers are directly thematizing is that in this sort of metaphysical system that marvel is deeply ingrained in this liberal physics based immediate zero sum contiguous aesthetic relation that's like that was great like that was actually like thanos was right um right and 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 there's then this this lament about that and and like we need to go back Right. We need to go back there. We need to recreate that. We need to end. We, we need to now not deal like not deal with the problem of care of and of caring and of politics in the sense of provisioning and and extending credit and and enabling production and reproduction, et cetera, and, and being able to afford the existence of these more liminal uh people right who are now coming back and are are others quote unquote um and so this direct relationship to that sort of state of nature weirdly plays out a sort of fantasy around sustainability on in like leftist terms of desire even if it exaggerates them and is not a perfect representation of them there are some underlying sort of Desires that that it is playing with in the way that it does sort of tap into this sort of impulse to destroy and not rebuild, right? An- I mean, it's left degrowthism, right? Right, exactly. Which is
0: not to say that we are growthers, no. <laughs> right, right, right. 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 Um, because when, yeah, it's totally that. And and when
2: and when you say the state of nature, I mean, like that's Thanos talking about balance. And how much, yep. how much do we hear even from the left? I mean, a- across ideologies that the goal is to return to a certain kind of unmediated balance where there, there are forces, um, that can finally play out and we can just follow because everything is in balance again. And, um, you know, that gets disrupted when people have to come back from getting blown out of existence.
1: And yeah. <laughs> and. Okay. I was just gonna say it's important to say also this the show doesn't frame that struggle to like for that sort of unmediated balance in just univocal terms, right? There's real empathy with the flag smashers because they are fighting serious injustices, right? So the it's a it's a complicated positing, empathizing and then, sort of, holding at arm's length of that sort of complicated villainy, her- heroic courage that that is being posited on on those sort of. I mean, we could also call them sort of more anarcho-primitivist sort of yeah. terms in that sense, right? And it's
2: it's kind of awkwardly sympathetic, yeah. Be- because the the sympathy comes about through the main characters, through Falcon and Winter Soldier who kind of understand their struggle and somewhat acknowledge it because they themselves, uh, Falcon, be, because he's discovering that, you know, being a black man through his conversations with, the, with Isaiah, who had been tortured before as uh, one of the first Captain Americas and whatnot, you know, he's really kind of bringing to the forefront the, the, the problems and the injustices and the exclusions of being a black man in America. So, so he feels, uh, some of that desire to bring down an unjust system and then a uh, winter soldier as well, because he kind of comes from this, uh, you know, pl- place outside of the conventional superhero model of just like the good guys versus the bad guys. Cause he's also kind of a gray area person. And so, but their sympathy is awkward because at the end of the day, it, as as, you know we keep coming back to this it's this sense of the liberal like we get your struggle but like you know don't go too far uh think about this be a good person at the end of the day
0: kind of thing yeah and there is a a kind of ethic of okay one can slide back and forth from good to evil from to some kind of neoliberal democracy to to some kind of fascism all day long but at the end of the day fighting for democracy and and dealing with the collateral damage is better than becoming a fascism and seeking out the collateral damage right it's not collateral it's it's on purpose right right um i was thinking we could pivot here And talk a little bit about, you know, what, to be honest, is probably the most prominent through line of the whole show, which is Marvel reckoning with its own whiteness and and trying to offer something else and trying. I mean, it's I mean, I keep calling this show like Marvel reparations, right? Like it's this is Marvel trying to figure out how to repair its it's largely white supremacist um, history. Right. As. The, the MCU, right? I'm not necessarily talking about the, the comics. Um and you know like uh to put it to put a, a a fine point on it, this the Gambit here is to take a black man and to make him into not only Captain America, blonde hair, blue-eyed super soldier, you know, like that's the model, but also, right, the the title of the first film the first avenger right this is there's a pride of place yeah he's not just one avenger he's the first avenger and the 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 project of making making a black man the first avenger sort of the most important the prime avenger is you know it's a big move on in the relative world of this massive corporate disney behemoth right um and, and they don't take it lightly. You know, they really, really put all kinds of doubt and back pressure on it. And they're very self-conscious about this. You know, it's not... I'm not even necessarily praising them for it. But as a matter of fact, just describing the show, um, they
1: don't make it easy, right? And not only do they not, right, make it easy, I mean, but the, the point is that it's not easy, right? I think in, this, in the world, right? It's not just easy to rid oneself of the white imperial baggage, right on on the MCU's terms. So they set out all of these tensions and contradictions which we've been spelling out in all of these registers of aesthetic, political, economic um, and, and environmental and and others to to narrate what it might mean for the Disney MCU behemoth to <laughs> begin to think about, not like representation but not just representation right a sort of re-memorializing of what it might mean for that representation to play out on screen and there is a complicated relationship between all of those things playing out and you know one could be one could be more flat and reductive about this and say like this is disney reading the winds and and realizing that like wokeness is on the rise and we need to speak to like that and they need to speak to that rise and 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 offer something to black audiences and and audiences who who don't as well who are non non-black audiences but are exceedingly urban and woke and liberal and all of these things right there's that and and marched in you know protests all summer right yeah. and but but it and i say that not to necessarily posit that as a reductive reading but to contextualize that this is something that's happening as you said scott in this series and that's really interesting because it plays out in so many different registers and the limits of its sort of corporatized version of that story also play out in so many different registers. And and the one that we've located so far is that like there's not enough money. Right? I mean that's a central theme of that sort of reparative mode of of right. the series.
0: But but that wouldn't be the standard left tweet about it. Right. The, the standard left tweet about it would just be because it's corporate. Exactly. <laughs> right um it's fallen yeah right um rather than actually taking on the very specific logics that that corporate
1: media form is taking and 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 self-justif like corporations as self-justifying entities amidst those logics right there's a reason why it's zero-sum right it's a zero-sum financial world and and the the, the monetary theory playing out there is a zero-sum liberal one it's be also because corporations Exist in part to justify their need to produce a profit in order to grow the economy right on the terms of zero sum relations of competition. So there's a there's a feedback loop in those logics that then gets that imbues this sort of rising woke tide in sort of American popular consciousness with a corporatist vision for why like why liberal wokeness or a a liberal version of intersectionality which again don't want to affirm that as a coherent politics or totality as 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 a as a as a matter of of theory and a matter of practice but this sort of social force is playing like these social changes are playing out on screen in ways that reveal both the potential for representation and mem- and memorializing and a reparative mode amidst the corporate behemoths and the limits of that vision as it comes to the political economic underpinnings and aesthetic underpinnings and philosophical underpinnings to that vision. And so that's where this for me this series sits in a really interesting way.
2: And I think this really speaks to different ways of understanding and putting into practice like the idea of dialectics, because, uh, you know, the standard leftist tweet is kind of just to say, well, the Flag Smashers are Black Lives Matter. And Falcon is Obama. And Disney is just trying to lecture us to be more like Obama and less like Black Lives Matter and and kind of like pose that dialectic as what's happening but i i I think that what what we're talking about here is perhaps a much more thorough analogical dialectic where where there there are several different um you know tensions and themes and social logics at play um that isn't just as straightforward like you know tension of good guys bad guys or like this is what this is the opposition we're trying to produce but rather you know M- M- max or scott maybe you all could tease this out a little bit but but rather like the tensions are um playing out on multiple um scales and and levels and acting out this historical moment uh, that we're in where there is
1: no easy solution
2: um to any of this
1: well right and so like as you, you frame it that way, I mean, it's something I think we've been hovering around, too, is this like age old critique of culture industry. Right. And so Disney is right. Is, so from Adorno and Horkheimer and the dialect of Enlightenment, Disney, like, of course, firmly in a sort of um, Marxist vision represents this sort of cult- culture, industry, capitalism behemoth. Right. It's a it's a determined product of the exchange relationships that subordinate us in 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 various ways that are very complex and complicated, but ultimately is reducible to that power relationship of Disney has the capital and and we don't, um, variously speaking. But um, what I think it is like we're trying to do here and what we've been trying to do is, first of all, reject that determination as one that's premised on a univocal relational condition of possibility, right? where. This says one thing, which is that it is capitalist, and and um, we are not. Um, and and two, to to really look for the way in which those like seams or the textures and themes of the show are speaking with different voices, in in ways that nevertheless can still be articulated and formed into some sort of partially but necessarily coherent. Um, vision or image for what it is this series is variously trying to do and and what it's variously speaking to as a matter of our imagination our 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 worlds of contestation and our our visions for the future our desires our you know our our psychosocial modes all of these different ways of Relating at, at the level of the so-called individual, to the group, to the totality, if we want to speak in those terms, right? And so, but doing that allows those moments of particular registration of these logics of, of various kinds that necessarily sort of speak to a, a, a liberal vision of some sort of zero-sum problematic to both speak to potentials, like for example, that this sort of woke liberal activist, like sorry, uh, intersectional movement in over the last year and a half, does present possibility, right? Real possibility for demanding more than it can offer, uh, and and insisting that the only way to fulfill an a woke intersectional vision is through Non-zero-sum rights-based politics that that are universal, and more so than just in a bounded, border sense of citizens or or residents of the United States, but in in a, in a more global sense, right? Um, of possibility and and of of the ability to extend and include, extend credit and include people in a, a sort of humanistic and and also ecological rights-based framework. Um, but there are also perils, which are this landscape of logics can never answer that that call on its own terms and And so i think that's
2: the i think that's the key really because what this is about is really reading dialectics and social categories themselves univocally and you know we we say that a lot but when we mean like one voice so if we're talking about disney or Marvel or any of these corporations as having necessarily to be read univocally, I mean, I think about the, um, companies that pulled out of Georgia because of their, um, because of the state of Georgia's anti-civil rights, uh, voter repression laws, voter suppression laws, and some companies pulled out. and you know, the, the impulse of a lot of the left was to say, well, that's all fake because they want to do this for wokeness points or some bullshit like that. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. And (laughs) so we should not really care that companies pulled out of Georgia, um, you know, because that's, that's the univocal reading. Right. And I, and I think that's like, I mean, really shallow and, and just also really problematic to, to, to think that, uh, kind of right-wing white supremacist laws um, you know it, it, it's okay to harbor them or allow them to fester and grow you know because if a, a, a corporation with a lot of capital or whatever pulls out then it's meaningless and so like we you know it's it just has to be interpreted as like all fake or all bad right and and and, and I think like that those kinds of readings are really limited ultimately because the assumption here is that a- any social category has to be reduced to their base relations, to their, to their, you know, to some kind of materiality. And that's really the only real thing. And so that's really the only voice speaking. And so all of society is just kind of like yearning for this, <laughs> for this commons. Where you know it's just kind of like everybody at this flat level interacting with nature directly, or interacting with each other directly, and um, you know, yeah, it's 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 all this other stuff, all these abstractions, are the distortions to that, and and I think like that's where you get into like a really reductive reading of what's happening in the world. So you
0: know, it it kind of. It's pretty fascinating to me that the way that Falcon and Winter Soldier starts in its very first episode to pose this question. I mean, there's kind of just the moral question, the weight of a racist American history um, that has... Sam at the beginning saying, you know, I don't feel like this belongs to me, you know, and like part of it is like, well, it's it belongs to the great Steve Rogers, but it's also like it belongs to whiteness. And I've always been excluded and my people have been excluded and I just don't even know. Right. Um, So that's that's like the big you know, that happens in Washington, D.C. That happens with the big pageantry that happens at that level. But then I want to return to this banking scene, right? So, so there's so much that's like improbable about it. And, um, and, and, and also kind of just like, I mean, I think it was read as like traumatic and, and, and like wild, um, by, by fandom because of what it opened up. Right. So, so his sister is struggling, right? He's the Falcon and he can't, he's the Falcon, (laughs) and he can't hook her up with a little bit of money for her small business, right, so that's already kind of weird, right, but then fine, it doesn't matter, right, like, I'm not here to, like, police narrative realism, you know, like, fine, play it out, and they wanted to make the point about systemic, uh discrimination right in in the long history of of redlining and not just you know housing but business loans right and you know that was a point they were trying to make and and everybody all the fans felt it and you saw it on twitter um and but the 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 thing that gets said in that conversation is that the banker a white banker a kind of dorky fan of of the falcon he first of all he like wants a picture with him right and that's like salt in the wound and it's like yeah it's precisely i mean you could say it's it's precisely pointing to this like um tokenism right like it's it's aware of that tokenism like you're not going to actually support right but but you're down for the you know the superhero snapshot and he says you know like what's up with your finances they're all over the place and, you know, he's like, well, I've been gone for five years. I was in, I was in the blip. Um, but also just in general, you know, he, he poses the question, like, how do you superheroes, how do you Avengers even get paid? Like, I don't really never understood that, right? Does Stark, did, when Stark was around, did he pay you guys? Um, you know, did the, does the government pay you? And Sam basically is like, um, well, okay, before we talk about that, we just have to talk about how crazy that is. And the internet <laughs> erupted, right? It was like holy shit. H- wait a minute, how do they get paid? Because they've been like working with high-tech equipment and all kinds of stuff and like they're in and out of the private and public sector and they're like loners, but like we don't see them starting businesses or like I mean except for Tony who's the like Elon Musk, you know, playboy like we don't know where the money comes from, so there is this like crazy traumatic moment where it's posing a question that's always, always been kind of just unset, right? And it, it is fascinating that in the in the show where they're like we're gonna we're gonna work through what it takes to make the first Avenger into a black man, that we're gonna raise finally raise the question of oh well, well hold on, how does anyone get paid? How does Money work in this world to begin with. And of course, it has crappy answers. It has horrible zero-sum answers, right? It's a, you know, the 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 money pool has tightened up, right? I mean, he, he says credit has tightened. But the fact that the question was posed and that hasn't been posed before in this way is just nutballs. And it shows that that the MCU is like like, recognizes that things are changing and there, there are bigger questions to to be had. Um, yeah, I don't know if anybody wants I, to add I, to that. I mean, I could talk forever I wanna, about that. Scene, I want to
1: put a finer point on it. It's precisely the representational sort of acceleration of this question of how do we account intersectionally for everyone in in the liberal sphere, which again, as you said, that, that it doesn't have the answers, but the liberals becoming woke sort of trajectory raises the question of, oh, but okay, now like now we believe in equality in some sort of abstract way. What does it take to? Oh no, we have to actually like fulfill this, and what? How is that going to work? And think about money. And, oh, okay, no, so okay, th- this means we need to think about money because obviously you need money in the world. Okay. What is money? Oh no, there's not enough money. Oh crap. What are we going to do? Right. And so this is like the trajectory. It's also a great example of how like precisely the raising of awareness around what the so-called like wokeness or intersectional movements are in, in spaces, which wouldn't, typically be associated with the left is is really important for generating productive tensions right like this one which is oh okay so now we have to make a superhero movie where we have to account for the history of american racism okay finally okay now we need to find out a way to pay people right and to and to and to pay black people and and it's it sort of the questions it, it like the answers that it comes up with, which we could talk about later in the series, are bad. I mean, essentially like everyone pitch in to help fix this fishing boat so that <laughs> so that you know Falcon's sister can have a small business and be self-subsistent, right? Um, and, and that's the answer. It's it's sort of this voluntarist charity associationism. It's not a public program. Although it is
0: debt, I would redeem that a teeny bit. I mean, it's localist and 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 like punishingly finite, but it is like it's local informal debt, you know, and it's like calling in debt. So there is that's an interesting moment to me. That
1: you're right that that is a really interesting moment that again like invokes the need for something like reparations, right? But it's only this question of okay, who do we have to tax to call in these debts, right? And in, in the form of labor or in the form of their outstanding wealth in general. But, but again, it's again, the redemption is that it's asking this question and it's, it's trying to conjure a world in which it's answered. Um, and it reminds me of like
0: the various members of the squad that, you know, some of our uh, <clears throat> colleagues um, have, have helped and advised um, taking on, you know, Powell, right at the humphrey hawkins uh hearings and you know i mean it's sort of like yeah yeah so why can't we employ everyone including black and brown people and marginalized people and powell's kind of like
3: well
0: I, I, i suppose we could maybe we could i don't you know uh i mean i'm not quoting him right but like it it feels like a parallel right that there's this is you know, This is not the revolution, but it is certainly part of what we've been calling a neoliberal paradigm crisis in the sense that neoliberalism is no longer the tacit the tacit understanding of the way the world works.
2: And, and meanwhile, while the, the show is trying to figure this whole question of governance and money out and kind of failing upon itself, and, but struggling with that, meanwhile i mean the other side of that coin pun or no pun intended is, uh-huh. is is a quest to find super soldier serum to get power because it's still stuck on this idea that if it's not going to be the power stone if it's not going to be an infinity stone that you grasp well then you're gonna have to inject yourself with with this serum that makes your body uh more physically powerful and that's how you will, uh, you know, be able to to. F- basically, that's the only way to fight for a better world, um, through literally enhancing your your body.
1: Be- becoming yeah. becoming ubermensch.
2: Yeah, right.
0: Becoming ubermensch, which the show is constantly moralizing against. Yeah. Right, because right, because you are you becoming a fascist, or are you becoming a democratic? you know just figure you know world Imperial cop um, that gets even that gets even trickier because um, Sam is not a super soldier and he says as much at the end right I mean he I mean this is pointed out in the very first um, is it the first of Captain America no no it's the second one that he shows up in right they're like yeah it's the second one because they're jogging around that lake, right? And and uh, Steve keeps saying, "On your left, on your left." He keeps passing him, right? Because he's the super soldier, and Sam's just like, you know, just a just a strong, smart, good soldier, right? Um, yeah, and at the end, he he points out that I'm neither blonde, blue eyed, or a super soldier. Now he is. <laughs> um, insanely enhanced right he's stark enhanced right um and it's that's still a a technics right the i mean there's biochemistry and then there's you know uh, electronics and and mechanics right i mean it's all you could say that it's all of a piece but it is interesting that this show is trying to carve out a non-ubermensch path
2: for 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 a second uh, there i thought you were going to say there's biochemistry, and then there's biopolitics. <laughs> <laughs> I would never say that. <laughs>
0: never
1: even <a good> once. <laughs> and yeah, this the, yeah this patchwork of technics in one form or another. Right. Again, like I think an, another way to describe what this show is trying to do is like here are all these tensions around race and imperialism and 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 sort of popular movements of various like red brown sort of capacities, right? This is the world that this show is envisioning and it's trying to pick a middle path, right? Which is of course what, what liberals are, you know, are going to try and do, but that middle path has changed over the course of the last few years. Right. And so that's another way in this, what that makes this interesting, right? It's like, okay, how can we, not do this whiteness power game of serum and 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 fascism and rebuff fascisms on all sides while sort of maintaining our sense of proximity to power but also proximity to the ground right and this this whole dynamic plays out over and over again and i think where it might be interesting to to move then From here is to think a little bit about where right so we talked about some of the answers to money politics right and 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 how this sort of calling in the debts of a sort of localized obligation of labor is the 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 show's answer obviously we could talk about the job guarantee and the Green New Deal and a reparations bill and all of these ways in which a non zero-sum view of money um opens up all these other paths to repair and to care taking in which um is another theme as scott mentioned this show is is uh preoccupied with right this sort of the villains care and and the quote-unquote ambivalent heroes care everyone cares right that's not in question the question is how dangerous is that where does it go where does that caretaking go and and you know we left MMTers have answers and policy proposals and 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 all sorts of different pathways and pr- for our, for our project in which that those desires can be applied to building a better world um and but you know and this show doesn't has that but potentially opens up a place for that but there is this moment in which sam falcon and also, then the the sort of burgeoning for Captain America, like right throughout the series,
0: give he emerges basically Captain America by the right. end. I mean, like the 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 beginning of the first the the last episode, he smashes through a glass wall in a building, and somebody like says something to him like, "Who are you?" And he says, "I'm Captain America." Right, right. So it's like
1: and and he's not the f- he's he's uh there was another captain america in the show who's this white guy who turns into a sort of megalomaniacal authoritarian um after he takes the serum and you know just brutally murders someone in the street of gets blood all over the right, shield uh, all over the symbol blood all over the symbol uh, uh, you know that's what that's what some reductive sort of maybe Marxists and post-Marxists would right, theorists would call like the symbol itself has always been blood. Right. And and so there's that that sort of (laughs) moment as well. Um, But after sort of saving the day in a narrow sense where um, Falcon and Sam defeats the immediate enemies in various ways, not necessarily important. Like there's Carly, there's the there's the former Captain America. They're all there. There's a speech that he gives to a sort of cadre of people in power, right? Like legislators and senators, senators. and and yeah. cl- like people at the U- involved with the UN and and all of these political figures. And um, I want to hand it off to either of you to talk about this moment because I think it's a, it's a profound moment of which the limits and possibilities of this show's world, and what it represents for for us and in our world really cracks open
0: yeah i mean <laughs> i think we all had a a similar response i think we were mostly sad <laughs> saddened by the last episode of the of the show until that moment and the more the more i think about it the more i feel like that speech that sam gives that the new captain america gives verbally undermines the premises for the entire show if not the entire mcu (laughs) Uh, um and it's weird i I was talking to max about this before That it's almost like the inverse of what wandavision does is because wandavision's abstract playful aesthetics undoes the entire neoliberal premises of the mcu but then is like nah, no, no 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 but it's still a false story and we still have to literally fall into this primordial mass energy finite universe and it's super sad and and sorry right whereas it's it's kind of the it's just kind of the opposite right where it's like we're in that that just sad muck of zero-sum Energy, mass, and energy, and then we get a speech that kind of tells us no that maybe that's not all there is. Basically, um, I will say to set it up that the show head writer and creator uh, Malcolm Spellman, who I believe is an African American man, um, actually like worked through various drafts of this speech um, uh, with the actor anthony mackey who plays sam um who oh by the way i just have to in passing um like (laughs) uh reference the fact that he goes he goes hangs out with his sister a few times and with his nephews right and then in that space he gets called uncle sam right so there's this you know sense of you know what does uncle sam mean right um but anyway (laughs) So Anthony Mackie and Malcolm Spellman like worked this speech out. They this wasn't handed down from the writers' room. It was something they went they 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 went over again and again. And it what Anthony Mackie said is it had to feel right to him. So like he kind of gets writer's credit on this on this speech. And I think that just the production history of that is important because it does stand out. Like it doesn't. I mean, it definitely absolutely plugs into all the themes um that that have been complicatedly running and threaded throughout the show but what it's saying is so different um i don't know if andres you want to like you want to take us through some of the speech or what some of the ideas are
2: well you know it's like kind of like the big reveal of what we at superstructure and money on the left have been have been kind of saying all along right we weren't we weren't expecting it because the last episode was kind of a letdown and in that it felt like it just concede it just gave up and conceded to the typical formula but then we get to this speech and sam starts to point out that actually uh with some phone calls with some emails essentially through mediation and through abstraction you can build and transform and reform the world. You can change where borders are. You can, you know, uh, you you can issue credit. You can issue uh, debt. All of the you can change the structure. of Yeah, he of debt. says you can. You control the banks. You, That's how he puts you, it. You control yeah. the banks, which obviously, like for us, that has like a deeper meaning in that it's not just yeah. the banks, but rather like the capacity right. to spend. You control uh, uh, currency issuance. Um, But more broadly, you control law and governance, um, as well. And that, and that all of these zero sum pro, I mean, I think like, this is really the, the gist of it, right? Like all of these zero sum problems, uh, can be addressed and resolved when you with emails and votes, with with emails and votes through governance, (laughs) through law, through like these very difficult, challenging, uh, you know, matters of formulating the boundaries and the horizons of uh of of social and political participation and that's what like we 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 keep kind of emphasizing that it's not everything is not just reduced to this base struggle where we are uh determined by the material physical world and kind of like uh have no agency over that Right, And we just kind of like respond as, as kind of a second gesture to what we're posed with from this base material world. But rather like, no, it's these, these problems uh, that we face because we're these interdependent beings uh, with ecologies that are held together through questions of, of like, what do we do and how do we do it? And, and this all comes in the form of, of conversations, deliberation, discernment. Uh, and the technologies that, that mediate that. Emails, phone calls, uh, a Congress, a Senate, the rule, parliamentary procedure, you know, all this shit. And, and and this had been repressed in the MCU for a very long time. And it's kind of like the jouissance <laughs> of of getting to, like, reveal that for the first time.
0: Yeah, and relatedly, you know, he takes it to othering. You know, he's like don't call Carly and the flag smashers terrorists anymore you know <laughs> don't call them aliens basically right like the the it, it I mean it the whole thing the whole speech deconstructs all the premises and the premises of not just narrative and drama and character but the action-adventure blockbuster mode <laughs> where it's like in order to you know in order to act or assert will you have to like fly your your asset you know 150 miles per hour through a canyon in tunisia right in order to save somebody right like that's just not how it works like you you know the reason you're even doing that is because of votes because of colonial border making right and and the show just verbally undoes it right but that's easier to do than to
1: aesthetically right and and to to like at the level of the tension, undo it, right? At the level of the guiding tensions of the conflict, right? Because it is conflict. Like there's the, there's that 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 speech can't quite overcome the conflict oriented, right? This sort of zero sum, phys- physicalist, Newtonian conflict oriented sort of dynamic or movement that that the the series. Um, Insists upon, and I also wanted to make one point too, which we haven't said. Right? We mentioned a little bit that Sam um, goes in and discusses with a, a former African American super soldier during World War II, and 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 like learns right about what happened to to him, and and how he was, um, you know, just put in imprisoned and and abused and and tortured by the U.S. government, um, in in this sort of along the trajectory in which Steve Rogers was Captain America and the white blue eyed good boy. Right. Um, and so the, the, this, but it's important too. like Sam goes to Baltimore multiple times and goes to this man's house and, and learns, right. And learns about the history of, uh, uh, of racism and American oppression in a way that's directly from a victim who he can identify with as a sort of super soldier himself. And this this allegory of going to Baltimore and learning connects up precisely this initial prob- problematic of well how are we gonna how am I gonna take care and help my sister in this moment of need right and we can critique the you know some of the gendered components of that as well um, but to a sort of journey of becoming Captain America in a way that we can also critique as the imperial symbolism that, that it is, right. Um, to this moment where he, Sam directly motivates his no, no, you have the power to take care of people and you can do this through mediation. And I like, and, and in saying that he's filtering that through his experience as a black man. And he says that straight up, he says, I'm a black man. Right. And, and the process of learning, the history and going back and and listening and hearing from those who were victim to it and continue to be victim to it leads directly to that that moment of that speech. And so, this reckoning with the past becomes the the pathway by which the future can be created differently, right? And we might have an inclusive intersectional vision for um, for a world that is much more just than the one we live in and, and all and, and the, for
2: nation states and beyond nation states exactly as well right,
1: right? exactly and that's the inner that's why it's the international context of this speech as well right it's about a global resettlement plan right it's not just about one bounded nation state it's about writing borders and he, he says that as much it actually and there's a desire right. for that
0: in Disney. There's a desire
1: for that in Disney, which is <laughs> frankly, again, speaks to this this profound shift that I think that there are it's still still originating, right? But there's there's this is just another another moment like in WandaVision, like this opening of the out of frame, right, as a potential orchestrating agent that that we, we can exert our agency over, um, there's 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 that here too in a, in a way that directly and explicitly takes on the problem of racial injustice. Um, and that is frankly remarkable, right? I mean, if we think about the history of the blockbuster, uh, you know, Scott has taught courses on it and written a book in part on it. Um, the, the, that is not, and while, while the, the questions of American whiteness are all there in throughout it, right the explicit thematization of intersectional justice as a matter of political and and legal agency is not not something that is explicit that it comes up right i mean this is this is different and 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 we can't say everything that it's going to mean but there's something i think in the water to to harken back to jaws here that um that signals I think a direction that can go badly and, and might incur a lot of suffering along the way. And we might not be able to stop a planetary extinction either, but um, it's, it's we we can't ignore it in the name of a determinative dialectical Mm -hmm. vision of domination, because this, this is, this is meaningful. And it's in a, a form of popular media that is reaching a lot of people right? I mean, it's almost like, you know, all this talk of how we build a mass movement and all of these things. It's like, this is all very important and going and knocking on doors and having like conversations with people. But if Marvel is going to ask the question of reparations in an explicit way, link it to money and link it to the legal power to rewrite borders and express (laughs) a desire for that, that reaches a lot of people in different ways, right? But But we can sense maybe a more fertile ground for some sort of, intersectional populism there's a potent there's potential there and and i i don't and that don't take that as a as a it's going to be x y and z prediction but it's a i think we can't ignore it
2: and it's not saying that like the potential is going to be fulfilled by disney
1: right no it's like precisely it's like... <laughs> the opposite it can't Yeah, right. Be. that's what that's what disney is telling us disney saying we uh, we don't have the answers to this <laughs> right
0: yeah because the rest of us pushed disney into this position exactly right yeah. i mean right it yeah, can't
1: yeah. it can't be fulfilled by disney because disney didn't make it get here on its own terms right there's a there's a participation and in interdependence and that's you know i mean that's the that's the the beauty and power of dependence right and and it doesn't mean that it can't be repressed and that disney might not go on the other hand and support uh, like the worst climate policies and like all of these things that are just might kill us all right it, that th- these tensions can be held together, but the fact that you know like you said the 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 showrunner and and the actor who plays Sam like worked on this speech together it shows that there's agency within systems of of inadequacy and scarcity and and, and domination right and th- those are meaningful.
3: I show you two some words before they're walking. At least that's what I heard. Trying to pick them as you're talking, causing both minds to blur. Taking shape, they fail you. Each one missing. Shallow words are never true. Your shallow words are never true. Your shallow words bring nothing new. Shallow words bring